Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording from the Long Island Bunker. You know, I often say to you that you need to take a break so that you do not have a breakdown. And with all of the compacted crises that we are dealing with at this time and making the march to midterms, there never seems like the right time to take a break. But I say that you have to make that time. And so for me, dear friends here on Woke AF, I am going to be taking a much needed vacation so that I can rest and recharge as we head into what I believe is going to be one of the craziest falls we've ever seen. I have left you with eight amazing episodes that we have recorded back in 2021 with some of the most thoughtful, engaging, and insightful commentary that looks at our politics, our spiritual nature, our emotional well-being, and a look inside, frankly, with some of the guests that we are bringing to all of you. These conversations have been heard by our amazing Patreon supporters who get video episodes every single day because of their belief and financial support of Woke AF throughout the years. And so I'm really excited to bring all of you across all the platforms that you listen to Woke AF Daily on these episodes and these interviews that I think will be enticing to all of you. They hit on all of the major topics that we consistently discuss here on Woke AF, from racism to gender inequality to police misconduct to wealth inequality, which my God, and the need and the need and the need utmost for spiritual connection and wellness practices that allow us to successfully maneuver all of the things that have been thrown at us over the past couple of years. And so 
Friends, while I will be out from the show, I will not be out of sight for the next several days. And so you can continue to follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at D2Cents, D-E-E-T-W-O-C-E-N-T-S. Of course, I will be dropping in with my two cents. And you can check me out on TikTok, where I'm sure certain that I will drop a few videos in the next couple of days. And there you can find me at Danielle Moody underscore. I hope that you all enjoy these next fantastic episodes that we have. Do drop your thoughts in the comments section. Do hit me up in the socials. Just don't draw my attention to anything that is terrible because I'm taking a break from the news. But dear friends, I really do hope that you enjoy these next eight episodes and I will see you with brand new episodes after Labor Day. Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ricci is one of the latest shows on the TYT network and also the fastest growing news show in America. On his show, Dr. Ricci plays no games regarding policy, delivering a heavy dose of fact-based truth and penetrating analysis on all the top news stories focusing on racism, criminal and social justice, politics, police brutality, Karens, and much more. Listeners can also expect interviews with fascinating guests, political leaders, commentators, and even fiery debates with conservatives on a wide range of policy topics in the bullpen. It is an indisputable fact that you will love this show. Listen to Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ricci on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. Hey, I'm David Plotz of Slate's Political Gab Fest. As another election season accelerates, it can be tricky to sort through all the noise in the news. Each week on the Gab Fest, John Dickerson, Emily Bazelon, and I decipher the headlines, break down the races, and tell you what issues really matter. We do not always agree. We definitely do not always agree. But we always deliver thoughtful debate, and we always have a good time. So subscribe to Slate's Political Gab Fest. New episodes every Thursday. Folks, I am so excited to be joined on Woke AF Daily with, and I don't want to tell you this, um, Brie, uh, I am a former educator, and so I am super excited about uh, about this conversation with Dr. Brie Pickauer, Associate Professor at Montclair State University and the author of Reading, Writing, and Racism, Disrupting Whiteness in Teacher Education and the Classroom. Um. Brie, I'm so excited to have you here because, you know, education has always been a part of the work that I do, whether it was when I was teaching in the classroom, I was a first and second grade uh, teacher and um, with children with special needs, um, as well as general education. When I went to the Hill, I did so because I wanted to work on education policy. Um, Now, as my life has unfolded, I still consider myself an educator. I just do it through different mediums. This book, Reading, Writing, and Racism. Talk to me about it and why now was the time for this kind of book. Mm. Well, thank you so much and thank you for having me. Um, I don't think now was the time. Um, I've been doing this work around racism and education for 20 years. 
Um, this just so happens to be the time that this book came out of me. But um, I think that it unfortunately is timely um, because there's an awareness among white people, as white educators and white people around beginning to recognize and do work on the way that they're enacting racism um, that they may not have been aware of or we may not have been aware of previously. Um, but that doesn't mean that the, that it wasn't there. <laughs> it just means that right. there's suddenly an interest, uh, a little bit of a light bulb after <clears throat> the summer and after January 6th. Um, it just so happened that the book is is timely, but it wasn't meant to be. You know, I went through a my master's program um, for early childhood education was a very unique program because it was about unpacking your own racism, your own discrimination, um, understanding how you were taught and what not to bring into the classroom as a teacher. And, you know, my, my professors were so intentional about this program. It's called the U-Team program at George Mason University. And they were so intent um, on how we unlearn discrimination, how we unlearn white supremacy. And it's something that I have often said is taught, right? Like we teach white supremacy. And so, you know, what, what kind of I would ask, like, what kind of pushback do you get when you're telling people like, oh, we're, we're, we're doing this work, but we have to, un like, we have to undo this work in our classrooms. Like, it isn't just a, it isn't just a, you know, um, an, an exercise in like growth in our democracy, but it's like, how do we do that? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that that was your experience because it certainly isn't the norm um, in teacher education programs. I think most teacher educators consider themselves specialists in the subject area that they're preparing people to teach. So I'm elementary education, my specialty is social studies, so that's what I'm supposed to prepare people to do. Um, instead of thinking about that we are preparing a whole person that is gonna be sitting in front of a whole room full of people and that what teachers teach is not just their subject matter. We teach our beliefs. And so if we're not giving our future teachers an opportunity to unpack what it is that they believe, particularly around race, then they're going to go in and teach mainstream dominant racial ideology to their students. And that's what the first part of my book is about, is the kind of racist curriculum that is going viral right now, um, that is sort of seen as one-off bad teachers mm -hmm. or bad apples, but that really point to the permanence of racism in education because like most of society, teachers have not necessarily done that deep work to understand um, their, the way that they think about race, the way that they think about um, difference. You know, I, I, I've often believed, you know, we, we did such a grave disservice to everyone, not like not just teachers, when we said, oh, you know, be blind to race, right? Like, let, let's let's ignore it. Let's tolerate it. Right. I, I grew up uh, in a in a schooling system that was 96 percent white. I was the only black kid all most of the time in my in my classes. And. 
that wasn't acknowledged. And by like, by the not acknowledging it, it was like, it, it was, it was, you know, a way to basically say you need to assimilate, right? Like you are supposed to assimilate to be like everybody else. And that the uniqueness and the experiences that you're bringing into this place, we don't care. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a, um, you know, for teachers that sort of with pride have that, I don't see color, I see blue, purple, yellow, you know, it's really based in a deficit notion of people of color when you hear white teachers say that, because what they're, what they're saying is, if I acknowledge your race, then there's something negative that I'm doing. There's some reason why I'm not supposed to notice it. And if I'm not supposed to notice it, it must be because there's something wrong with it. And so there's this fear that in act, really what I think is underneath that is a fear of being called racist. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. that that's the fear underneath a lot of white teachers. Um, and so they espouse this um, race evasive kind of mentality. I've been moving away from colorblind because I'm trying to move away. From I know. And I actually, language. when you just, I know. And when you just said race evasive, I'm like, oh, that's a better, that's a better term. Right. Yeah. We've been working on that one in the field for a while. Um, but I think that it's, it's really what's under, underneath that is, a, is deficit understandings about race. I had a student once who was like, well, it's not that I don't want to acknowledge um, their race, but I also, you know, I don't want to be making assumptions. So it's like, well, what is the assumption you're afraid that you're making? What was the assumption that they were afraid that they were making? Well, it was actually very confusing when she actually started to talk about, when she started to get into it, she had a lot of confusion around race, period. I mean, there's so much right beneath the surface. You know, she started talking about how, well, if she gets a tan, then she's darker than some of her students. And so I think she was wondering if that, if she's still white. I mean, it was, look, this stuff is unexamined and it's wow. messy. And so if we're not giving them a place to talk about this, then the classroom is the place where they're experimenting. And we see the results of what that looks like when we see these you know, pieces of curriculum that are floating around it. You know, As recent as three days ago, there was a curriculum um, out of Wisconsin around um, I think that the words were something like that, something about an escaped slave. Yep. And the pun, and how would you pun, how I could, I like for the life of me, Brie, when these stories come out, I'm like, how, how? I know that teachers sit down and they plan out their week, they plan out their unit. And I'm thinking to myself, how, how does something like that happen? And, and that's where this book came out of really was I was just, I started collecting these examples like this because I have students who don't, white students who don't necessarily believe that racism is still a problem, at least pre 45th president. I'm like, I'm like pre-insurrection. <laughs> and, you know, this sort of post-racial. So I had started collecting these examples to show, no, this actually is a, a problem. And so after some point, it got it got beyond the like shock value and the disturbing value of them. And I really started to question the you know, these aren't anomalies. These aren't going anywhere. And so what is their function? 
how are these examples actually functioning to A, maintain white supremacy, mm-hmm. and B, teach the next generation dominant ideology without them necessarily even knowing the history? How is it still teaching the mainstream ideas around race to the next generation? How is it reinvesting in whiteness? And so that's really where the book started was to analyze these examples to move past the like disturbing shock value to see that these actually do have a purpose and their purpose is to maintain racial hierarchies. What do your students say when you present that truth? Because they, you know, what I want to say is that I don't necessarily believe that all white teachers think one, like think about upholding white supremacy, right? But it's almost, you are upholding something that you are willingly ignoring. And so how, when you're faced, like literally what I feel like your work does is it holds up a mirror, right? Which your, your work does is hold up a mirror and has us stop instead of looking at these stories as these one-offs, right? Look at the pattern and look at what it's producing, right? Like, you, you, you teach this. So how do you like, when you hold up the mirror, what is the response to you, to them, to saying like, by doing this work, you are upholding this incredibly violent system? Yeah. Well, it depends. It, it, and I found that it mainly depends on not what someone comes into the program believing, but really how open are they to having this conversation? So there are definitely students that respond with resistance. Um, And I think that, you know, over the 20 years that I've been doing this, I've learned how to navigate that a little bit better um, so that that I see less of that, but there is resistance. Sometimes there's like an openness to it. Some of them really start um, questioning and doing that deep examination. And then some of them are just like about it. You know, as soon as they hear it, they're like, yes, I get this. What what's my responsibility now? What do I need to do differently? Um, so it's really a range. And and it's been a surprise and, and an interest to me that it isn't about how much are you already thinking about this coming in? It's really mm-hmm. how reflective are you willing to be? Do you find that there is a difference in in reception to this based on is it elementary or high school or middle school teachers? Like, is there, is there a variance there? Well, I'm an elementary person at heart, but I co-direct a program now that's K-12. And um, I don't think so. I mean, I think that high school teachers generally tend to come in with a little bit more understanding of the intellectual nature of education, Mm -hmm. whereas elementaries Teachers often come in because they love children. Um, And so it takes a little bit more to push to say, okay, but it's not just about like picking apples and making applesauce. And like, (laughs) we're actually going to engage young people in these critical conversations. They can do it. They can handle it. Whereas I think high school teachers know that that's what they signed up for. Um, but, it, you know, it really depends on the person and, and the person's willingness to go deep. You know, it's funny. You're um, now remembering um, 
the few white women that were in my master's of education program, and they were really unhappy with the way that it was being taught, right? Like they, because of literally what you just said, I want to become an early childhood educator because I love children and I want, you know, to, to play and I want to create like this playful, you know, environment for them. Like, why are you talking to me about race and racism? Right. And like, it was this, it was this feeling that they didn't want to be told to feel to like, they didn't want to be perceived as bad. Right. And so it was like, in order for me not to be perceived as bad, not to be perceived as racist, then I have to block all of this out. Yeah. And I just like people, right? Like that was all, you know, that was kind of the pushback. And, you know, and, and the the feel, the sentiment that the, the professors would, would provide is like, right, but you're teaching all kinds of people. They're not, they're not going to stay children forever. Like they're growing into adult adults, right? Like you're training adults, like, you know, like, and I, and I don't think, I think it was very much lost on them. Yeah. And I, and I think that there's also this idea that if I don't veer into this sort of anti-racist social justice curriculum, then I'm just being neutral. Like, yes. And not the, and so for a lot of elementary teachers, they're scared to sort of, you know, teach a more critical history, even, you know, the, the quintessential example is Christopher Columbus, right? And so if I teach the, teach the perspective of the Taino indigenous people, then I'm being political. But if I teach the Nina, the Pinta and the Santa Maria, then I'm being <laughs> neutral. But actually, you're not. You're you're glorifying the history of colonization, and you're ignoring the genocide and the violence of what Columbus actually did and what he set the stage for. And so, I think teachers just think that that maintaining the status quo means that I'm not being political. But it's extraordinary. But it's all political, and it's all inherently political. Exactly. Right. Like the way the way that the way that history has been set up, the way that we teach is inherently political. Who you decide to say is, you know, even in music class, I can remember, like who you are anointing as the music that children have to learn, right? <laughs> like is white men. So it's like, and the the icons that you're saying are these inventors and what have you are white men. So it's like, so how do you break through, how do you break through that? Like that is, it is all political because the purpose, I have said this forever, the purpose of our public education system is to uphold white supremacy. Like that, it, that is the purpose of it. What do you want? Because I think that your book, it's, it's not just for teachers, it's for parents, right? It's for anybody that, it, that interacts with kids, right? Like how do you, how do you, break this system, what are the tools, you know, that if a, if a parent is, or, a, you know, a teacher obviously is picking up this book, what are some of the tools that they can get to help, to help start, to help start the process? Cause it is a process. It's not going to be one and done. It's not like I read this book and now I'm an anti, no, it is a, it's a practice. Yes. And, and I think that the, one of the strengths of the books is that it uses a framework that is really very popular in anti-racism work now, which is the four eyes that look at how individual, interpersonal, or I'm sorry, individual, internalized, institutional, and 
ideological oppression work together. And so while it may seem from the book that an individual can take things away and, and reflect on their own socialization around race, the solution is not an individual one, because as you said, the it's the institution mm -hmm. of education that's upholding white supremacy. And teachers are very unique because they are right in the matrix. They're right in the middle of all four of these systems of oppression. They're upholding institutional racism through their own individual racism. And so we can't just try to change individual teachers, even though it seems like that's what I'm doing, but I'm arguing that the institution of mm -hmm. teacher education, the institution of education that's providing professional development and training for educators needs to shift to do this deep examination work because that's the only way that we're actually gonna see changes in not only curriculum, but in relationships, in classroom community and school policy is when everyone is doing that work, we're, we're no longer working to uphold um, racist systems. We might be working together to dismantle them, right? Mm -hmm. And that can't happen if on large scales, we're not supporting that kind of, that kind of exercise. You know, I want to ask you another question um, before I let you go, which is that, you know, it's Black History Month, right? And usually, you know, in a normal in normal times, uh, in schools all over the country, plastered with Martin Luther King posters and Rosa Parks and this, that, and the other thing, there is an intention, an intentionality, even if a superficial one, around this month. What do you think about Black history being like a curriculum for February, but then not incorporated at all the other 11 months of the year? Yeah. It's for kids. AF. It's, it's <laughs> like it, it makes, I mean, it, it could, it should be a yes and, right? It should be, it's incorporated throughout the year and we're going to pay special attention to it now but not that we're gonna segregate it into this one month. Um, and it, again, if teachers are not doing this kind of examination, white teachers are not doing this examination, it's still going to be taught in a deficit problematic way that mm. focuses A, only on, I saw a post the other day on Facebook that was chattel slavery is, chattel slavery is not black history, it's white history, right? but it's taught as Damn. black history, right? Damn. And so all of the ways in which white people have oppressed, marginalized, and, and, and done all of the atrocities that we have done to black people is white history. Black resistance, black invention, black joy, that's black history. And that's not how it's framed. That's not how it's taught in schools. Um, and it's and it when it is taught, it's often being taught through that deficit dominant ideology. So you know, Rosa Parks was tired. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to Martin Luther King had a dream. Isn't that nice? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, not about his anti-capitalist, anti-war 
you know, speaking truth to the white moderate, that's not what's getting taught during black history when teachers haven't examined that. So that's why I'm saying we can't tinker with curriculum. We need to do deep excavation to teachers' racial ideology, and that's what will change curriculum. You are doing the Lord's work, Bree. <laughs> you really are. I appreciate you so much. Um, folks, the book is Reading, Writing, and Racism, Disrupting Whiteness in Teacher Education and the Classroom. Bree, you have got to come back to Woke AF because th- th- this, con- this conversation could go on uh, for, for the longest because I think that it is the most important work to do. Like if we're to break with the abuse and cycle of white supremacy, then you have to start with education. It is the only place to start. Mm-hmm. Well, it was my pleasure anytime. Thank you so much for having me. As always, dear friends, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. See you after Labor Day. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com/theshy to get a fifty percent discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July fourteenth. Subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit RightRug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.